Now, like I said, I am very, very excited about what God is doing. Now, I have a little message for you today. It's, called, it's in the form of a question, is it time yet? Is it time yet? Now, I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to make some, as we go through this, I'm going to break it down into about three different areas. And as, as we go through this, I want you to know that I'm going to be saying things that's a little untraditional. Some things that God has shown me, some things that I have learned concerning how we approach various things that confront our lives. Okay? And um, what, I want, what I'm hoping this will do is it'll open up your mind to looking at life, to look at ministry, to look at the spiritual dimension God has placed you in, to look at it in a different way than you've ever looked at it before, to cause you to think differently. Okay? Acts 16, it's a whole bunch of scripture, but I'm going to break it up into three areas and approach it that way. Acts 16, beginning in verse 18. Now, to give you a little background for this, the question is today, is it time yet? The, que- the, the thing I want to just kind of tell you, Sister Janie's got it up on the board there, what I want to tell you is this, is to explain to you what happened just prior to this. You remember, um, you know, God does some extraordinary things in the book of Acts. What happened just prior to this was is that uh, Paul and Silas had just went to a place called Thyatira. There they met a woman named Lydia. Lydia was a merchant woman. They were having a prayer meeting. The women were having a prayer meeting at this place. Paul and Silas came in, and he preached the gospel, and a bunch of people got saved. You know, people who um, involve themselves in a lot of theology and interpretation and stuff, they say, and it's true, that this was when the gospel door was really opened up on the continent of Europe. This was the first time the gospel was preached on the continent of Europe, just prior to what I'm going to share with you this morning. Now, have you ever noticed, this is a question, have you ever noticed that right after you do anything significant for God, the enemy pops his head up? He's in a reaction mode. Have you ever also noticed that just before you do anything significant for the Lord, the enemy pops his head up? Have you noticed that? The enemy loves to get on both sides of success. If he can't defend his position and scare you off or keep you, from engaging in a divine moment and God's plan for your life to keep you from doing something significant, if he can't scare you away, then what he actually does is after it's over, he tries to beat you up. Now, if you ask anybody who's ever tried to preach, they'll tell you that many times they'll go out the door of a church or a building or a coliseum or a stadium or whatever. Uh, They'll go out the door of the building and before they even get home, they're getting beat up for what they said because they think they didn't say something right or they forgot to say something they meant to say. Wondering if people took it the wrong or the right way. Sometimes that happens. Paul didn't necessarily have that problem. But the problem Paul had was when he got ready to do something for God, he had trouble on the front side. And when he did something for God, he had trouble on the back side. Now, I'll also say this. Is the gospel being released? On the continent of Europe, if you're a Gentile, and I'm looking here, I don't see any Jewish people this morning. But if you're a Gentile, what happened just before this, other than what Jesus did at the cross, that is the most significant event in, uh, in biblical history that impacted you as a Gentile because it opened up the gospel door to you and your family many, 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 many years ago. So it's a significant event. Anyway, I won't keep going there. Let's begin reading here. 
Acts 18. I think we need to go back to 16. I gave her the wrong stuff, didn't I? Okay, 16. Can you get a fact 16, babes? Oh, by the way, she's my wife. I can call her babe. I can get away with that. And it came to pass as we were going to the place of prayer that a certain maid, having a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much gain by soothsaying, or that's reading palms, it's being a psychic person. The same following after Paul and us cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim unto you the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, being sore troubled, turned and said to the Spirit, I charge you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Let's go a little further. But when her masters saw that the hope of their gain was gone, they laid hold on Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them unto the magistrates, they said, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and set forth customs which is not lawful for us to receive or to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent their garments off them and commanded to beat them with rods. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, cast them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. Now, I want to stop right there. Now, at this point, Let's just clarify a couple things. Number one is this, is that Paul and Silas, as I understand it, were headed back now to the place of their latest success preaching the gospel. They were going back to the prayer meeting by the river. As they were going, these guys had a woman that they handled who was demonically possessed. They actually sold her Two people to gain information. Is, is she working like a psychic? She was charging ever how many shekels per session. She'd read palms and, and uh, she'd soothsay and she'd enter into divination and all kinds of occultic practices, getting information from the enemy to give to people. Let me say this up front without hesitation. Uh, the enemy has perverted the prophetic information and the prophetic flow from God that God has intended for good, wholesome purposes to build up and to edify the church. And the enemy has perverted that and he has twisted it and he's manipulated it and he has packaged it to the world for eons and eons and eons and people have consulted psychics and all these other people trying to get an idea on what they can expect in the future or trying to get some sort of um, thing to help them get more money, to try to find somebody to love them. To, it's all kinds of stuff, okay? That's present in our society today. So nothing has really changed, has it? They're still there. As a matter of fact, you see these little signs all over the place, you know, spiritual reader and advisor, Sister Teresa or Sister Faith, 
or whatever, you know, and they put themselves off as a little bit perverted, but they use sister and spiritual and that kind of stuff as language that Christians can understand. Now, I'm not going to really go there in order to explain to you some particular things about how the spirit of divination works. I'm simply going to say this, is it ain't good. Okay, it ain't good. Paul knew it wasn't good, and so as they were going to prayer, time and time and time again, as they were passing through this particular area in the city, evidently it was on their way, this woman who was possessed by a demon would begin to follow them and say, these are the servants of the Most High God who show you the way of salvation. What's wrong with that? Anything wrong with that? Not in particular, it's the truth, isn't it? But the problem with that is, is she was doing it in a mockingly way. And Peter and Silas, I mean Paul and Silas, Every day they passed through, they just kept on walking. They kind of ignored it. But after the word says many days, Paul became distressed. He turned and spoke to the demon spirit, and the word said it left, what was it, about an hour later or in that hour or something like that? I want to address just a second to those of us who are involved in spiritual warfare, to those of us who have been in the battle, for those of us who have learned that you have authority and you can do particular things in, in settings, you can cast out demons. Okay, let's just put it real plain. You learn that you can cast out demons. One of the things, and here's where I'm going to give you a different angle on something, okay? We're talking about spiritual warfare. I mean, my question now is, is it time? One of the things I noticed when we first came into the charismatic expression of the Christian faith when we came into this wonderful land of charismania, I noticed real quick that charismatic people were quick to identify demons, and if there was a demon somewhere in the room, it was like putting a bulldog on them and saying, sick them. Okay? And it just fascinated me. I wanted nothing to do with that. Janie and I went to a conference in Florida, we were just kind of fresh into this thing. Matter of fact, were we still Baptist? I think we probably were. If we weren't still in the Baptist church, we were in transition, but we were beginning to explore and to learn and to discover our identity and kind of what God had in store for us. Um, I don't remember if we'd even, I don't think we started TWAC yet, but anyway, that's beside the point. The thing is this. We went down there and we were in a conference for three days and this, the guy who was actually part of the conference leadership who was speaking asked Janie and I to participate, asked us to go up there and pray with the leadership of the church prior to the service, and we did that. And um, they expressed to us, for some reason, they expressed to us that they were having particular problems with this one lady in the congregation for two or three years. She had a particular demon that they couldn't deal with, and they had been trying to cast this thing out for a little over two years. You remember that? And I'm, th I'm new to all this, okay? And I'm thinking, when you speak to that thing in the name of Jesus, the word says it's got to go. But they've been dealing with this for two years. 
And then we actually, in, in one of the services, we saw this, this particular spirit manifest in this woman. And they tried to minister to her, and they couldn't do anything with that thing. And Janie and I were just observing, and one of the things we noticed was that this demon was jerking their chain. Okay? They had already expressed to, her, to us what they thought the demon was particular area of the spiritual stronghold in their life, but something just wasn't matching up. Something was not right, and so Janie and I, it kind of bothered us for a while, and we went back to the hotel room again and thought, and we asked ourselves the question, why hadn't this thing been dealt with? Well, and I don't know if we were right or wrong, but we came to the conclusion that they were trying to cast out the wrong thing. And that this was a lying spirit presenting itself as something that it was not to maintain control over this woman. And, 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 and this, this spiritual influence was just having a party with these people. Now, we actually sit down and wrote a letter to the pastor. I gave it to my friend who was part of the conference. I said, when you can. I said, just give this to the pastor. And I said, if he wants to act on it, that's fine. If he doesn't, that's okay too. We never heard the end of that. Okay, but in spiritual warfare, in terms of dealing with the enemy in your life or the lives of others or in just situations, you know, try to make sure that you know, you know, you've got a handle on what you're dealing with. But here's the thing I want to get, it's just going to throw you a little twist here. Going back to what I said earlier, in a charismatic church, I've seen that People, if, if, if something they think is demonic is in the assembly or somewhere, they want to deal with it right then. How long did it take Paul to deal with this thing? What does the scripture say? Many days. The first time this mocking spirit made a display publicly and ridiculed Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas just ignored it and kept going their way. And then after many episodes... Then Paul became distressed in his spirit, which I think was actually a word of knowledge. He became distressed in his spirit and he turned and he spoke to this spiritual influence and cast it out. Point number one. I've got to the place in my ministry and in my life, I don't have to respond to every little thing the enemy sends down the pipe. Sometimes it would pay for you and me and everybody else to have a little discretion and ask God, it, it, is, is it, it, once you discern if that's what it says, is it time to deal with this net now or do we just need to give it a little while? You know why people are so, a lot of times, distressed and discouraged in spiritual warfare? It's when they come to a place that they find a spiritual influence or a demon that, uh, that needs to be cast out. They just kind of jump on it immediately. They ever, they, they, number one, they misdiscern what the spirit is. Or number two, it's just not time right yet. Or the person is not willing. There's something that's not right. You need, listen, in dealing with anything, whether it is your destiny, whether it's walking out what God has called you to do, whether you perceive a door that's been opened for you to follow in your course and your journey, whatever it is, or if it's, if it's uh, spiritual warfare, dealing with a demon, or even if it's healing the sick. What we need to do is we need to become proficient, we need to become excellent, we need to become expert at timing. And that's one thing that we're missing today's church. That's the reason why 
we're failing in a lot of areas is because we've, we've got a lot of the mechanics down right, but we've missed the timing of it. And the enemy loves to have you frustrated. And if you jump on every little thing that comes along and go through every little door that opens and believe every little thing that's said, he'll have you running in circles. So timing is essential. We have been given authority over everything that places its foot on this planet that God has given us dominion over. Why would you be scared of some demon? Think about it. Let's see, what's the latest thing um, in, uh, in the movies? What's this? Paranormal activity. Can I share a little something with you? And I, I can see now, I'm not going to get to this whole thing, but I'm going I'm to just ride this train, okay? Is this beneficial? Are, are we okay here? Okay, she told me I was okay, so we're going to go with her comment. Had a person call me a couple weeks ago who had a friend who went to see paranormal activity. This person who called me, their friend, is a, is a Christian in a church here in town. This person called the person I know and asked the question, is that kind of stuff real? Are there really demons? And the person that I knew said, yes, they're real. Do you believe in that? Yes, I believe in that. I tell you what, I went and saw that thing last night and I was so scared and so disturbed, I did not get any sleep. You know why the person I knew was not, number one, they didn't have any desire to go see it. Okay? I'd encourage you not to go see it because there's, it's just a scare tactic from the enemy. But here's what he's doing in our generation. He's opened up the curiosity with the supernatural and the paranormal. And he's gotten people to be comfortable with that, okay, through various different things. Now what is happening is the enemy is turning the dial on that. Once he gets you comfortable with something, he turns the dial and increases the intensity. And someone who has been open to believing or whatever, ghost whisperer and medium and, and um, all these other shows that concentrate on you know, psychic activity and um, all this stuff. Anyway, he gets you used to that and, okay, this is pretty cool. Okay, what is more about this? And you begin to explore and then turns the heat up with something like paranormal activity. And what he does is he touches the nerve on ignorance and he touches the nerve on unpreparedness and he is now touching the nerve in the church. Our church today, not our church today, but the church today is not prepared for the real deal that's out there. And it's scaring the socks off of them. And they don't understand that they have authority over this stuff. And there's no reason to be bugged out over it. None. But these shows and these movies are showing us our ignorance, our weaknesses, and our vulnerabilities. And right now the Western church is as weak as pond water. Now we know we've got the tools. Okay? We know we've got the tools. There's this little thing on the back of these dudes' pickup trucks that says, ain't scared. You don't need to be stupid dealing with the enemy. I mean, after all, he's the prince of the power of the air. You don't need to be dumb. You need to know what you can do and what you can't do. You need to know the timing of it, but ain't scared. Okay? Ain't scared. 
But timing is so critically important. Don't let these things scare you. Get in the Word, understand your identity and your authority and your position and stand your ground, but you don't have to respond to every demon that pops up behind a bush or that lays under a rock somewhere. Because a lot of times it's going to be nothing but a distraction. Because see here, listen people, you don't have to go find the demon God wants you to deal with. You know what they'll do? They'll come to you. If you go out of your way to think you're doing God a favor and everybody else to deal with something you don't have any business dealing with, then the thing you're destined to do and the the victories that you have been designed to achieve here won't get done because you're distracted over there. Is that making sense? The other thing is this. A lot of defeat and discouragement has come in in the charismatic church because they have understood they've discerned properly it's now time to deal with this thing just like Paul did and they have prayed over it and they've cast it out and nothing's happened you deal with something in a private session or in the front of the church and nobody's gotten a release it's obvious the manifestation is still there and operative and when that person leaves or when you become distanced from them or the object of your ministry has, has vacated the premises or gone away, you look at yourself or the people around you and you say, what happened here? Is, is the scripture wrong? Have, have, we, have we failed? The scripture says, in my name you will cast out demons. But the demon was still there when they left. Listen to me. You know what this, this word says? Spirit came out in that hour after Paul and Silas addressed this thing and went about their way. When they left there, she was just as, she was just as demonized and loopy as she could possibly be. But they were content. They, they exercised their faith, the discernment of proper timing in their spirit, and they left everything in God's hand because when they left, then that thing left the girl. And she was freed. Point number two here, never, ever, ever discount, discredit, or minimize the name of Jesus. Never. We've been doing this long enough to know that sometimes when it comes to dislodging a spirit, it may take an hour, it may take a day, it may take two days, it may take a week. But we get reports later where a person received deliverance in a a place out yonder somewhere after they got away from ministry time. Isn't 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 that amazing? Even Jesus himself, if you read the Gospels, everything didn't happen immediately. Sometimes there was a a delay in that, it'll say, in that hour, which is just a, a period of time. Remember this, you have authority, okay? You have the tools. You have the teaching. But we've got to get a proper perspective on all this stuff. And I think the one thing we're lacking in the church today in terms of success and spiritual warfare, the one thing we're lacking is the ability to be able to properly discern the timing of everything. It is all a matter of timing. Your ministry is all a matter of timing. Your preparation is all a matter of timing. Your destiny is all a matter of timing. Give yourself a break. 
Be patient, learn to wait on the Lord, and listen to Him. And if you need the counsel of someone, find someone you can trust who's, who's got a, a, a good, a highly tuned ear, and listen to them. Now, here's the other thing I thought about, and then we'll move on, okay? Was it time yet? The first day it happened, of course, it was not time. The second day it was not time. The third day it was not time. You know what Jesus waits for sometimes? Jesus waits for the proper crowd to come together. Jesus sometimes likes to draw a crowd to your greatest victory. And if you become discouraged in a little environment with just a few people because things ain't happening just the way you think they ought to happen, you just keep being faithful because what Jesus may be doing is he may be setting up your victory to be poised and positioned to a larger group of people who needs to see his power and glory demonstrated. And it just ain't time that he's saving your victory so everybody will know. How many, listen, if you feel like doing this, show me. How many times have you been discouraged because it didn't happen like you wanted it to? How many, how many of y'all have just got mad when it didn't happen like you wanted it to? Okay, and then you go to God and you, you begin to intercede and you pray and you thrash the floor and you stomp and you romp and you and you pray in tongue for hours and you're, you're fussing at God because, oh God, your word says so and so and so and so and it says this and that and I've been doing this and that and, and you begin to display your plumage before the Lord in some great magnificent way so he'll pay attention to what you're praying for and interceding for. And the whole time he's just sitting there and he's saying, yeah, when are you going to learn? When are you going to learn? It's a matter of drawing the crowd. It's a matter of my timing and not yours. It's not that you've done anything wrong, but get over yourself. I'm telling you now, we need to get over ourselves. Help us, Lord. Get over ourselves. And the one thing God may be withholding from you that you think is so urgent is the very thing that He's going to use to prolong you and keep you where you are so that His glory will be demonstrated in your life in His time frame and before the right group of people. Get over yourself. Don't be intimidated by the rant, the rave, and the embarrassment of the enemy because I promise you every time Silas and, uh, and, and Paul went through this area, they were being belittled publicly. Oh, these are the servants of the Most High God who shows you the way of salvation. Da-da-da-da-da. Aren't they just great and wonderful? Look at them. They're preaching the gospel. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Go ahead and get saved. Let me tell you all something. Here's another little thing. It'll bust your bubble. Let's see if i got time for this today. Oh, yeah. I can do this. Watch this. This is, this is so cool. This is magnificent. Not because I thought about it, but because it's in the book, Okay. Okay, let's start here. Back up, back up a slide or two. I'll show you where to stop. Can you do that for me? I want to go back about two verses maybe. One more. One more back. One more, and then we'll be there. Let me tell you something. I'm going to go out way, 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 way out on a limb 
with the uh, possibility of really offending people, even people who watch on it. You know, we got people watching us on the Internet in Africa. Got a text message this morning when I woke up from a, from a guy in Africa said, I just watched your messages on the Internet, and he just gave me an encouragement. A text message from Africa. Got up this morning and started my day with that. Ain't that cool? I think it's great. Okay. Now, what happened? Paul and Silas cast the demon out. The woman quit her soothsaying. She gave up her tarot cards, her crystal ball. She stopped reading palms. She was normal. Lost that vein because that demon was gone. She was looking at them in her right mind. They were saying, come on, come on, you know, read these palms or whatever. And she's just looking at them just like, I can't do that. She probably, listen, probably she wound, I, don't, I, I can't prove this, but probably she wound up over at the prayer meeting beside the river and got saved. That's the way I like to think anyway. But here's the thing that could agitate people. We talk about going, and, and there is a tremendous benefit of going into all the earth and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Tremendous benefit. Unfortunately, we have missed an aspect there. We go into the gospel, we go into all the world and preach the gospel, people get saved. Let me tell you something. The devil doesn't worry about people not getting saved. He doesn't worry about people getting saved. Because he knows there is nothing he can do to stop that. It's part of the mission and ministry of the body of Christ is to go and preach and people get saved. Okay. I want you to notice something. These handlers of this woman and this woman never once was concerned about Paul and Silas going to the riverbank and preaching the gospel and people getting saved. Not once does it say that anywhere. As a matter of fact, as they pass through every day, they got the same kind of treatment. Nothing changed. You know where it changed? Do you know where the, 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 the enemy rose up and he just sort of drew a line and he said, thus far and no more? It was, it was never about preaching. The enemy will let millions and billions of preachers preach the word anywhere and everywhere, anytime. But you know where the enemy got riled up here? It's when Paul and Silas got into the pocketbook. Because their ministry caused a, a, an absolute dead total stop to the flow of money going into the handlers. Which, by the way, they paid a portion of that in taxes back to the magistrates and the rulers of the city. And the city got revenue off of it. There was no response from the enemy in a retaliatory way until Paul and Silas got in the pocketbook of the enemy and cut the money off. Then there was a backlash. Then is when the violence occurred. Then is when they drug them before the magistrates. And that's why the magistrates went berserk. Was because they realized, oh my gosh, we don't get any more revenue off of this. They cut the money off. Yeah, let's beat the snot out of them. You see, the coffers of the enemy is absolutely, totally full of the plunder that he's taken away from everybody, but mainly 
the thing that concerns me is his coffers are full of the money that he's taken away from believers in Christ. That he's tried to bankrupt. That he's tried to ruin and to destroy. And so when something happens and that prosperity is eroded, the enemy then gets mad because he can't get in. It's not real easy. Okay, today in our economy, it's not real easy to get into the business of a believer until you start cutting the money off. People start cutting the money off of your household, your business, your enterprise. What happens? It gets your attention then, doesn't it? And that's what he's using today. It's a tactic we see reflected in the word. Now, the secret is how do we respond to that? Do we respond to it in a godly fashion or do we respond to it in an ungodly fashion? But the point here is this. We will become effective. We will get the attention of the enemy when we actually, through our worship, through our ministry, and through the prophetic word, get to the places where we begin releasing people from the demonic attachments that they're influenced by so they would no longer be able to put money in the coffers of the enemy and they will be able to reroute that money to flow into the work of God and back into the pockets of the people of God. That is, okay, that is what I believe the scripture talks about whenever it says that it'll give the riches of the wicked to the righteous. Okay? Because... If the enemy takes it from you, it's no longer the riches of the righteous. It becomes his riches, wicked riches. And then therefore, when it comes out of his coffers, the reverse is happening. It's coming out of the coffers of the wicked and coming into the hands of the righteous. Is that making sense? I hope it does. Because if it doesn't, I'm way out on a limb. But the point here is this. We will know personally and corporately we are into the enemy's business in a real way when we can recognize when it's time to do something and then God will respond to the timing. Heaven will amen when we act on the timetable of heaven and we begin to get into the financial business of the enemy and cut his business off. That's when we really begin to walk into the identity and power and that is when opportunities begin to arise that never have arisen before. That's what it's going to take in this hour. That's what I believe. Now, I want to share one more thing with you, and then we'll wrap this up. Let's go, let's, let's read down a little bit further. Go back uh, three more slides into where they're in the prison. Now, forward, uh, like up in numbers, like 22, 21, somewhere along there. One more. They're beaten with rods here. Let's go take one more. Okay, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Remember that. Next. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. Next slide. And the jailer, being roused out of sleep and seeing the prison doors open, drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for lights and sprang in, and trembling for fear fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved, thou and all thy house. And they spake the word of the Lord unto him with all that were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, immediately. And he brought them up to his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly with all the house, having believed in God. Stay there. Interesting thing. If you remember anything about the chronology of Acts, you will remember that in the situations prior to this, that there were instances where God actually sent earthquakes and angels into prisons and released folks who had been imprisoned because of their testimony of Christ. Okay? Send earthquakes, shackles fall off, doors open, angels come in, just they absolute walk through doors and bars and stuff to get folks out. Supernatural deliverance. But it never quite happened this way before. I'll ask you a question. And this is just, this is a question. Okay, pretend for just a second that you're a criminal. And you're arrested, wrongly accused, okay? And you're carried to Reedsville State Prison. And they put you just as far in prison as they can, in the innermost, in the keep, Okay, that's what they referred to it in prisons back then. It was the keep. It was a place that was virtually impossible to escape from. You're in the keep. So you're sitting in prison, you and your partner, and you just get the Holy Ghost. And you start singing and praising the Lord in hymns, and you start singing psalms, and you're just worshiping the Lord in there. And all of a sudden, what you're doing is, is probably, how many of you would be asking the Lord to get you out of there? Let me see your hands. Okay, pretty much 100% in that crowd. And so all of a sudden, at midnight, after you've been in there several hours of darkness and you've just been singing and praising the Lord, all of a sudden an earthquake comes and every single door between you and the outside opens up. And the handcuffs and the shackles that are on you all of a sudden miraculously fall off. Now listen, you're sitting there and you can see every door open and you can see that the front door of the prison on the yard is open and you've been, you, you've been sort of interceding and, and all this kind of stuff. What is your first response? What would you do? Do what? Man, I'm going to tell you. You'd have had your Michael Jordan's own and you'd have been blazing a trail. And as a matter of fact, the breeze at your back would be just a rattle in the doors as you went along. You would clear that place and get in the street in the darkness so you could disappear and nobody could find you. That is exactly what you would do. What happened here? What did Paul and Silas do? And all the other prisoners, they stayed put. <laughs> Okay, now, here's what gets fun. Why did they stay put? Think about it. You're free to answer. There's, 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 there's no wrong answer here. Just think about it. It's not a trick question. I'm not here to embarrass you. I, you know, I hate it when the preachers ask a trick question and you bite on it and you give the answer that they're not looking for. You think it's wrong, but there's not going to be a wrong answer here. What were they? Why did they stay? Huh? Waiting on God's permission. So, 
Yeah, some may have not knew what to do. Here's, here's, yeah, Roger. You know, we're bouncing all over the right question. Everybody's on the right track. Here's what I believe. You know how it is whenever you're in this place or somewhere else in your kitchen stuff and you're just worshiping and you just feel the presence of the Lord and it comes time to get up and leave or do something different and you just don't want to go? Well, that's where they were. They were in, listen to me, they were in the presence of the Lord and they understood and knew that although they were imprisoned unjustly, they were better off in that prison in the presence of the Lord than they were out there in the street with freedom from prison. What I have to say is this. To those of you who've been in a hard place, that's been under a rock, that's been, I'm telling you, you felt like you've been in prison in the innermost courts and you're there, you know it's an unjust situation. You know you've been accused wrongly, that people have spoken about you the wrong way, that the enemy has taken advantage of you and he's lied and, and you're just the recipient of all this, this, this grief and this, this torment, I just have something I want to say to you this morning and that is this. Let's read this. This is what I want to tell you. Let's, let's, um, one, more, one more down. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the sergeant saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported the words of Paul saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore come forth and go in peace. Come on. Another one. Yeah, thanks. But Paul said to them, They've been beating us publicly, uncondemned. Men that are Romans. Now this is the first time Paul told them that they were Roman citizens. In that day, Roman citizens, were, were they had the privilege and the benefit and the, and the uh, uh, luxury of having a, a, a court trial rather than being condemned and beaten. And have cast us into prison and they now want to put us out privately? No, let them come themselves and bring us out. Next slide. And the sergeants reported these words to the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans, and they came and besought them. And when they had brought them out, they asked them to go away from the city. Stop right there. One of the cool things about the way God works is, is that if you spent time in prison, the way I described it just a while ago, unjustly, and you hold your ground and you hold your peace and you stay in the presence of the Lord regardless of anything and you wait on the timing to be released, He will bring those people who have accused you, who have belittled you. He will bring everything that has dishonored you and He will make them bow at your feet and acknowledge the injustice that you've suffered. You hear that? You hear that? It doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter if it's finances. It doesn't matter if it's uh, something uh, in society concerning your reputation. It doesn't mean if it's, if it's a matter of healing. It doesn't mean if it's a matter of, uh, of um, spiritual issues, whatever. If, if the enemy dares beat you and put you in the keep of the prison and you stay in the presence of God, then there's coming a day when he is going to supernaturally open that up to you and the people, the forces that have placed you there, the enemy himself, he's going to have to come and bow at your feet and say, we have made a really bad mistake here. The day of your deliverance is at hand. It's a matter of you staying in the presence of God because if you're in the presence of God, then the prayers that you pray, you have clarity 
when they're answered. The situations that you face, you have a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom that you can act on from God and not yourself. See what I'm saying? So I'm asking you, is it time yet? Maybe not according to your timetable, but is it time yet? When we were down in Nassau, and I saw this just sitting in the room one day, man, I got excited. Because my family and I have been like in the keep of the prison for probably a, well, a long time. I'm not going to say, but it's just been a really long time. But you know what? It's my time. It's our time. I know that. It's our time. And I'm to the place where I am determined to stay in the presence of God. I'm to the place where I am determined to wait on God's timing. I am determined that it's time. Where are you at? I mean, I'm telling you, I'm telling you people, you hold the key. You hold the key to everything about your life that you've suffered injustice for.